Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. Thank you, Dad. Listen, I've got to say, um, my my dad, he is he is a great preacher. He is a great father. He's a great uncle. Uh, he's a great teacher. He's a, he's a great uh, minister, and uh, he's he's great at, at what he does. And Dad, I'll be honest, I can't read the rest of your handwriting, so I don't, I don't. I thought that was a little bit more funny than it was, but hey, listen, I'm I'm so honored um, to be here today. I'm so thankful for you. Um, I just want you to know that uh, that I have been able to see my parents up close, Pastor. Um, and I've got to watch them from a distance, and I just want you to know that uh, they love you. And I haven't haven't been around very many pastors who talk about their church the way that they talk about you. And so you guys, in my opinion, you're blessed with the best pastors, and that's not just, um, that's all of them. Uh, you really do have the, just the best pastors that I've, I've ever had the pleasure of watching from a distance. So um, listen, today, I don't want to waste your time today. And so when I was uh, 16 years old, um, let me just say first off, too, that I'm thankful for this place. Uh, Bethel, there is like this crazy statistic of when children leave uh, their, their home, whether they move to go to college or they move out, there's this crazy statistic um, where children are walking away from the Lord. Well, I want you to know here at Bethel that there's like this crazy blessing that Bethel has that the kids that grow up here and the kids that are planted here, something about it is they're not, they're not walking away. And so I can remember many times um, at, these, at this church, at these altars on Sunday nights, and th- right over here was my spot. And I remember almost every Sunday morning, Sunday night was my spot where I would go pray by myself. And so there's this cra- crazy blessing that's going on here at Bethel. Anyways, but when I was 16 years old, it was the very first time that I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I feel like I'm supposed to preach. And so he said, okay, well, I'll let you preach on Sunday night. And so there was a Sunday night service that I got up here, and I talked, and it lasted about 10 minutes. And we gave an altar call, and everybody came up. And then after the service, there was this old man, um, and I I don't remember his name, uh, but he came up to me, and he shook my hand, and he said, son, I'm going to tell you, that was was really, really good. I'm going to tell you, uh, you have all the potential in the world. And so I said, well, thank you so much. That means so much to me. Um, and I went home and I started thinking about that. He said, I have, I have all the potential. And so I thought about it that week and the very next Sunday I went back to him and I said, sir, I've got to ask you, you said, you said that word potential. And, I, and so I've been thinking about, you know, like what does it take to unlock potential? What does that look like? And he went off and he read some scripture. He read some verse. I don't remember what he said. But as the years have gone on, and as I've gotten older, I've found that a lot of us pursue our potential over our purpose. And what happens is we allow our potential to be the ceiling of our purpose. Let me put it this way. Um, You can fulfill your potential in an area that God never designed for you to fulfill. You can fulfill your potential in a relationship that God never designed you to to fulfill. I know it's early, and I know we don't know each other that well, but you can at least give me a head nod on that you're getting this. Because we can, so many of us, we pursue our potential because we think that if we fulfill our potential, if we have this many zeros in the bank account, if we make this much money, if we get that promotion, then all of a sudden, then our potential is filled, and then God is proud. 
But, but when Jesus went to the cross, he said, don't you know that at any moment I can call down legions of angels to save me from my situation? He had the potential to call down angels to save him from his situation, but his purpose was the cross. Jesus did not let his potential forfeit his purpose. And I'm worried that there is so many of us that have spent our entire lives working to, to fulfill something that God never co-signed on. And we have stopped treating God as a savior and more as a co-signer. Where we say, okay, God, I'm going to work my entire life, and so that way I can retire and I, and I can make you proud. But God is saying, yeah, listen, you may have made some money. You may have gotten a promotion. You may have, you may have gotten the career that I wanted you to get, but where was I in that? And so today I want us to start by fixing our perspective of potential and purpose. I came across an article a couple weeks ago entitled, Stand Out for Success. And then the subtitle said, It's the Secrets of Self-Promotion. In the article, the author defines self-promotion as the action of promoting or publicizing oneself or one's actions. This is what the author quotes. The truth is, in most situations, you're probably not going to get ahead just by doing a good job. To get promoted, you first have to promote yourself. You have to be able to speak about your accomplishments. While this article was mainly focused on the corporate world and maybe how to climb the corporate ladder or how to, to be promoted and how to move up um, in your own career, it got me thinking because in this article, she really hits the nail on the head when she talks about self-promotion. But the problem with so many is that, is that that may be how the world promotes. But while reading that, I thought about, well, how does, how does God promote? If self-promotion is, um, is how people move up in the eyes of men, what does it take for us to move up into the eyes of the Lord? And so today, I want to speak to you on this subject of spirit promotion spirit promotion. Not self-promotion, but spirit promotion. Let me pray real fast before we get into this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have the opportunity uh, just to gather. Thank you that we have the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to receive what you have prepared for us. God, I pray that right now that you would just begin to open our hearts, open our ears. So uh, just, like, just like we're getting ready to eat, I pray that we would sit and be ready to receive what you've prepared for us. God, push me out in the way. Don't let me mess up the word that you gave me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, today I want to look at um, two Bible characters, um, Saul, who was a self-promoter, and then David, who was a spirit promoter. So if you have your Bibles, I will be in 1 Samuel 13. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 6. Now we're going to cover a whole lot of scripture today, and so because uh, that's the, really the only way I know how to do this thing is just to... Um, talk about the Bible. So there's a whole lot that we're going to cover, but we're going to begin in 1 Samuel 13. The children of Israel have just thrown another little uh, temper tantrum, and they have demanded Samuel, the prophet, hey, we want a king. We want a physical king that we can see because all the other countries have kings, so we need a king. And it was funny because the king of kings wasn't enough for him. So God tells Samuel that he has appointed Saul to be king over Israel. We're paraphrasing a lot, but I want us, because I want us to get to this. Um, and so Samuel comes in, he anoints Saul to be king over Israel. Saul then goes on and he attacks many of the Philistine military bases. And the Philistines get sick of it, 
So finally, what happens is the Philistines, they attack Saul. So we're about to pick up reading in 1 Samuel 13, verse 6. But seven days before where we're about to pick up reading, what happened was Samuel left Saul and he told Saul, hey, listen, I'm leaving. I'll be back. Don't go to war till I get back. I'm going to offer a sacrifice because it's very important that before we go to war, we get the pr- approval of God. And so Samuel says, you don't, you don't do the sacrifice. You don't go to war. Wait for me to get back. I'll do the sacrifice. So this is where we pick up 1 Samuel 13, verse 6. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of God of Gad and Gilead, and Saul remained at Gilgal, and the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he had finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Saul has been at Gilgal for a few months, okay? And um, he, every day, the Philistine, the Philistine army is getting closer, and it's like there's this level of pressure that's just being built upon his shoulders. And so because every day his troops are waiting for him to give commands, and so every day there's just a new level of pressure that's being added to Saul. And so finally he gets to the place where it's the day that's, that's, that Samuel said he was supposed to arrive. He's not here at the exact minute he said he would, so just bring me the offering. I'll do it himself. And as soon as he finished... Samuel showed up. I don't know if you've ever been like one of those situations where like you messed up and you know you messed up. And as soon, like while you're doing it or as soon as you finish doing it, like somebody shows up, like your parent shows up or your boss shows up. And there's nothing that you can do because you're caught literally red-handed. So Samuel runs out to Saul. He's like, Sammy, my boy, like what's going on? And probably he like has some little secret handshake with him. He's like, hey, listen, uh, I know that you said that I was, and let, actually let's just, let's just read it. I don't want to let, I don't want to tell you. I want the Bible to tell you. And so he runs out there and he's like, hey, Samuel, what's going on? And this is what Samuel says. He wasn't having any of Saul's junk. He says, what have you done? Samuel, Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, he he blames it on his troops. When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at this, and then he blames it, he blames it on on Samuel. You didn't, you didn't come when you said you were supposed to come at the set time and that the Philistines, they were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the the, the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. At this moment, Samuel leaves. And the last thing he says to Saul is, you no longer have the anointing and the favor of the Lord to be king. 
But this is the absolute perfect picture of the grace of the Lord. Because from this moment, Saul would go on to be king for another 20 years. And at any moment, all he had to do was hit his knees, was come to an altar, and say, God, I messed up. At any moment, that's all he had to do was just ask for forgiveness. But for some reason, he was so prideful, he was so, he was so self-promoted that he kept it to himself. He was so worried that he would be demoted by his troops because his troops th- started scattering. Because the troops said, we're supposed to be fighting. Because the troops said, we have to defend ourselves. He was so worried about being demoted in the eyes of man, he lost the promotion of the Lord. It is a dangerous place to be when God gives you something, and then you lose the favor that he gave it to you with. Saul goes on from this moment to make a few other mistakes. Uh, and then one time, God instructs Saul to go and totally destroy the Amicalites. Destroy everything. Bring nothing back with you. Don't, don't take any hostages, no prisoners. Don't take any of their money. Don't take anything. Just destroy it all. Well, Saul goes over, and he sees that there's some things from the land that's pretty decent. There's some, actually some good cattle. There's some good sheep. And so he brings the sheep, he brings the good cattle back with him. He destroys everything, but he brings back the good stuff. And, it, and eventually he gets to this place where Samuel, again, he gets caught. And he doesn't, I found that you really don't get away with a whole lot when, when God is um, watching. And so uh, God eventually tells Samuel something that I fear never gets said about uh, you or never gets said about Hayden Rosamond. And that is, he says, I regret that I have made Saul king. What happens when God, who is so generous, gives you anything and he gets to the place to where he says, I regret that I gave them that promotion. I regret that I gave them that career. That is a seriously strange place to be. And it's so simple. Self-promoted people are, are prideful. And then this is what I, this is, I'm going to read you this verse real fast. Until the, This is in 1 Samuel 15 at the very end of the uh, chapter. It says, until the day Samuel died, he did not go see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Moving into uh, verse 16, this is the very first verse. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. When, when Samuel found out that Saul was no longer right to be king, Samuel, the Bible says that Samuel mourned for him. He cried for him. Because they were tight. They were co-workers. They had spent a lot of time together. They had experienced a lot of a lot of time with the Lord together. They experienced a lot of leadership lessons together. And so when it got to the place where Samuel, where Samuel found out that Saul was no longer right to be king, he mourned. But then God comes to him and says, How much longer are you going to cry over what I'm finished with? And what worries me a lot in my own life is how much time am I spending crying over people, crying over things that God has done with, and when he's wanting me to move on, but I'm holding on to things that have happened to me. 
If you hold on to what has happened to you, you cannot receive what God is wanting to give you. And a lot of us get to this place, man, where we're holding on to what has happened to us. We're not able to receive what God has for us. There is a, there is a true, true power that you have when you learn to let go. Because there, I, I truly believe that God, that, that God has plans for us. Like, you know, like the plans that he has to prosper us, the plans that he has to give us a hope and a future. Like he truly does have those things for us, those blessings for us. But we get to this place where we're holding on to our own plans. Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He's looking to anoint the king. And Je- he comes in the house, and I'm sure, like, I wasn't there, but I've got brothers, and I'm sure Jesse was so proud. He lined up all of his boys, and he brought them in, the oldest to the youngest, and he brought in, and then Eliab comes in, all 6'3", big muscles, buff, good hair. He comes in, and he's standing there, and Samuel walks in, and he sees Eliab, and he's just, ooh, that, man, that boy, he looked like a king. He looks like a king. He talked like a king. Look how he walked. He even walks like a king. But the Lord said to Samuel, this is in uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What does this mean for you? Don't look at how they look. Don't look at how they spend their money. Don't look at what they post on social media. Don't, don't look at, at the things that they buy. Don't look at how they're actually broke and crawling in debt, but they have the lifestyle of an upperclassman. Don't look at how they, how they live. God don't care about that. God told Samuel, don't let the appearance fool you. Millennials, um, my generation, I guess, they think that there's this app called Tinder. And I don't have any experience in it, so I don't know what it really is. I just know from the commercials that what it is is like, you, uh, there, like this picture pops up of this eligible bachelorette or bachelor, okay? And you can swipe right if you think that they're attractive, and you swipe left if you don't, okay? And then, like, let's say you both swipe right, then it's a match, okay? Well, my generation, we think that Tinder has been around for a long time, but it was actually around all the way back in Samuel's day. Because Samuel comes in and he sees all of these attractive, all of these built men, all of them could be king. And he comes in and God says, no, not him, not him, not him, not him. And so Samuel is standing before me. He's like, oh, that's a king right there. I would love to just pour this oil on you, but I've got to swipe left. And so he gets in there and he just swipes left on all of them. And so finally he gets to this place where he's like, I've like... I've rejected all of your boys. Is there anybody else that you have? Is there anyone else that even like that you, is there another son you have? Is like, is an adopted brother? Like what's going on? And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Verse 11, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. David was not even invited into the room, but they were looking for him. And a lot of us get to a place where we want to be in the room. 
you know the room I'm talking about, the room where the executives are, the room where the managers are, the room where the directors are, the room where your children are, like the prodigals that walked away. And we're trying so hard to push on that door. We're trying so hard to build relationship. We're trying to get in the room with all of those people that matter, the important people, the place where we're supposed to be. We're pushing on that door. Let me just say, if you are not invited into the room yet, it's because God is still trying to show you some things in the pasture. This is, this is like really the main point that I want you to get is that David was a shepherd. In this day, shepherds were seen as lower class and common. And so that means that his own father did not see him as being any sort of, of son. He saw him more as a shepherd than he did as a, as a son. But David was known as a musician. He was a songwriter. He was a soldier. And he was a man after God's own heart. This tells us that David was not sitting in the pasture watching sheep eat and poop. I imagine David was sitting in the pasture with a guitar and he was strumming a couple chords, and he was singing melodies, and he was, he was oh, that sounds good. Let me write that down. And then I imagine David, after he would get tired of songwriting, he would put his guitar down, and he would pick up a slingshot, and there was a tree, and he would stand back from the tree, and he would take the same stone, and he would shoot the tree over and over again until there was a big old hole in the tree. I imagine that David was not just sitting in the pasture thinking that he was being punished. David was sitting in the pasture because he was preparing. The pasture is where David learned to get in the presence. If David could not get in the presence of God in the pasture, he could not get in the presence of God in the palace. I want to I bring your attention, though, to in this verse, in verse 11, Samuel says something different because I didn't read you all of verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I want to bring your attention to those three words. Send for him. People much older, much older, much wiser than me, have given me some of the some great advice, some really good things that I have carried. They've also given me some pretty terrible advice. Okay, just gonna be honest. One of the one of the worst uh, one of the worst pieces of advice that I've ever gotten is um, I'm sure you've probably heard it. Is it's not what you know, it's who you know. Like it doesn't matter how much you know. You as if you don't know the people that that can put you in the places where you can best thrive. Like, and I get it. That makes sense. But truthfully. That's some of the worst advice I've ever gotten because I found that if I know someone, that means I know a man and man can only give me like just a couple of things. Man can give a promotion. Man can give a pay raise. Man can even give a platform, but only God can give a purpose. And so if I'm, if I'm done pursuing potential, and so if you're done pursuing, pursuing potential and platforms and promotions and pay raises, and you want to start pursuing uh, potential, then you have to understand that man cannot give you purpose. Man can only give you a level of, of what you can pursue your potential as. Only God can give a purpose. There's only so much that man can do. So go ahead. 
go ahead and let, like, I know it's messes with your theology of like, like you got to go grind and hustle and make money and, and you got to, you got to go chase after all the business and you got to do everything you can to move up in the world. But, but God, but if we look at the, the Bible and the life of David, David was faithful in the pasture. He was faithful with where he was. And so there's three words that I love to say to myself, but for now. Because those three words, we can acknowledge what God has spoken over our lives. Yes, God has called me to be CEO. Yes, God has called me to have director in my job title. Yes, God has, has called me to be worship pastor, to be, to be a pastor, to be a youth pastor. But for now, I'm, I'm going to show up and serve coffee. But for now, I'm going to go take care of some kiddos in nursery. But for now. I'm going to help media. There's some media. Mike Johns needs some help with media. But for now, those three words, I promise you, it'll completely change the way you look at the pasture because a lot of us look at the pasture as punishment. But the pasture is actually the place of preparation. And so we get to this place where, the, where we're alone. Nobody else, none of the other sons were in the pasture. And so we have, we have this opportunity for the enemy to sneak in and say, hey, listen, nobody else is doing what you're doing. Nobody else is living how you're living. Nobody else is spending their money how you spend their money. Nobody else saves more than they spend. Nobody else lives, but I feel the spirit of like Dave Ramsey or something. I'm stuck on this finance. But, but... <laughs> But, but nobody, and so we, the, the enemy has this crazy opportunity to come in and whisper these little bitty lies because we're in the pasture and we're alone. Messes with a lot of our theology. But when, when Saul went in, when Saul went in and conquered the Amicalites, and he came back, this is the difference between Saul and, Samuel, or, or Saul and David. When Saul conquered the Amicalites, the Bible says that he brought the king of the land, the Amicalite land that he just conquered, he brought the king with him back to his land. And what that meant in that day was that if a king conquered a land and brought the king that he, of the land that he just conquered with him back to his land, it was seen as if it was uh, it was very prideful because it was a sign of humility of like humiliating the uh, the the king from the Amicalite land. And it was like prideful for for the king that conquered. It was a sign of like look what I did, look what I conquered. Don't you see what like your taxes paid this for? Look look what we did. But David goes in, and David was just going to be uh, faithful where he's at. And so David comes in from the pasture to Samuel, and Samuel says, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So there's this super spiritual moment, this super powerful moment, where Samuel comes in and anoints David to be king. And then Samuel leaves. Now, let's just say for funsies, the Queen of England came to Arkansas, to Cabot, Arkansas, and she came into my parents' house and she said, Hayden, you're going to be the next Prince of England. Okay? If it's me, if I'm in that situation, I'm saying, when's the flight? When? When we leaving? Like, you got a limo out front. Like, what do I need to wear? I don't, I don't have any. I got a flannel. That's about the nicest thing I've got. Like, what do you need me to wear? Because, like, if it's me, like, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll catch a ride with you. But 
But Samuel just dips out on David. He says, hey, hey, you're going to be you're going to be the next king. Okay, now I'll see you. And I think that this is where a lot of us get to, because a lot of us know that we're called for more. We're called for bigger. We're called for better. But yet I found that there's this like strategy that the Lord has where he'll call us to something major, but then send us somewhere minor. Sometimes he'll call us somewhere major, but then send us back to where we were before we ever went to him and asked for where he was going to send us. And so listen to me. David was anointed, but he had not been appointed. And this is where a lot of us are at. A lot of us are at this place where we know we're anointed. We know we're called for more. I'm supposed to make more money than this. I'm supposed to have a better job title than this. Um, my, my ministry is supposed to be bigger now. My ministry is supposed to be more successful now. And many of us are at this place where what God spoke to us hasn't come to fruition yet. But, but you cannot bypass the pasture and expect the palace. And what God does so many times is he calls us to our palace while sending us back to our pasture. And here, please hear me. Please, if, you only, if you don't get anything else, get this. The pasture is not punishment. It is actually the place of preparation. How you treat the pasture is how you'll treat the palace. But God does not give you the palace if you're not faithful in the pasture. So for right now, but for now, yeah, I'm called to the palace. I'm called to have more money, to have a bigger business, to have, be more successful. I'm called. I thought God said that me and my children were still going to have a great relationship. That's my calling. But for now, I'm going to be faithful with what I have. I'm going to pour into these kids. I'm going to do everything I can with these students. I'm going to pour into these people. I'm going to do my very best on worship. I'm going to show up early and serve coffee. But for Yeah, I know that's where I'm going. That's where I'm supposed to be. But for now, I'm going to be faithful where I'm at because I'm so worried that we treat the word that God has spoken over our lives as an escape goat for us to not be faithful with where we're at. I don't know if y'all got that or not because that, was, that wasn't in the notes. Thank you, Jesus. Because a lot of us, I don't want the word that God has for my future to prevent me from doing the work that Jesus has for me right now. Don't pass over the pasture. So David, he goes back to what he was doing before, even though he knows he's called for a whole lot more. Meanwhile, Saul is back at the palace and he's being troubled by like these evil, like these evil spirits. And so he says, "Okay, well, um, like he he goes to his servants and says, hey, what what would he do? Because I'm really struggling here.' And so uh, one of his servants says, "Hey, listen, look, what if you just brought in a musician to come and play and maybe sing? And like we can trouble what's troubling you." And so he says, "Okay, that's great. Well, well, do you know anybody?" And the servant's like, "Yeah, Jesse's got this boy named David, and he'd be out like in the fields and just be. He, I don't know what he's doing, but he's playing, and it sounds really good. And I get emotional every time." he plays, so what if we went and got him? And so Saul, this is what happens. One of his servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse Bethlehem, who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. Kind of reminds me of somebody you know, don't you? And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son. There's that phrase again. Send me your son, David, who was with the sheep. Again, David did not have to plug the palace into GPS. David didn't have to pull out a map and go looking for the palace. The palace sent for David. 
I know this messes with your theology of go work and whatever you, you go work and you go get it. But what if, what if instead of going out and trying to, to get more, to be more, what if we were just faithful with where we're at? Notice that they knew who David was because of his preparation in the pasture. They didn't know who David was because he had excelled in the palace. They knew who, who he was because he had been faithful in the pasture. There's so much power in that pasture. Power is given when you're actually in the pasture. And so David goes to, he goes to um, Saul, and he's literally standing before the king, like the person who has the position that he is supposed to have. He goes and he stands before the king, the person he's supposed to, he's supposed to be in that chair. And he's standing before him, and he's the answer to a problem. And I just believe that what would happen if you changed your perspective about the people who are in the position that you're supposed to have? Like, what would happen if I'm supposed to be a pastor? But what if I started serving my pastor? I'm, I'm supposed to be a manager. I'm supposed to have director in my job title. What would happen if you went into work on Monday and went to your boss and said, hey, what do you need help with? How, how can I make your life easier? What can I do for you to just lighten your load? And you ain't got to, don't ask for anything. But what would happen is if after, is, is on a Sunday, Pastor Kerry couldn't even get out of his office because there were so many people coming to him and say, hey, what, what do you need? How, how can I serve? There's power in the pasture. One day, Jesse packs a lunch for his sons who are out at the battlefield. He sends David to go out and, and deliver the lunch. When David got there, he ran out to greet his brothers, and in his, while he was greeting his brothers, he noticed that there was somebody a little bit taller than everybody else. And so uh, there was this man named Goliath, and he was, he was shouting defiances to, um, to the God of Israel. And so all the soldiers were, were hiding in fear because they heard the defiance of Goliath. Uh, but it was so funny because when all of the when all of the soldiers stepped down in fear, David stepped up in faith. And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, it says this, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? What would happen if instead, if you started asking the question, what will happen when? Yeah, I'm struggling right now, but what will happen when I'm free? Yeah, I'm living month to month right now, but what will happen when I'm financially free? Yeah, I know that right Like right now I have no relationship with my children, but, but what will happen when? When all the soldiers stepped down in fear, David stepped up in faith. And so while David is speaking, while David's asking all these questions in, in faith, it says that what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And check this out, 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. And Saul sent for him. This is the third time that David was sent Four. David tells Saul that he can fight the Philistine, but Saul says, no, you're just a boy. I can't send a boy to fight a man's fight. But David said to Saul, after he just says, you can't go fight this boy. You're just, you're just a boy. David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by his hair, struck it, and killed it. He was a gangster. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he was cussing, okay? That was like cussing back in the day. So this, this bleepity bleep Philistine will be like one of them. 
Because he has defied the armies, the living God. Saul expected God to magically hand the head of Goliath over to him. And so self-promoted people expect presence. But spirit-promoted people excel because of preparation. There is a difference between using your faith to, to have God give you what you want and, and using your faith to prepare yourself for what God's wanting to give you. There's a difference between spirit-promoted and self-promoted. Those self-promoters, they'll chase its presence, but spirit-promoters excel because of preparation. Please hear me just one more time. Your pasture, it's not punishment. God did not bring you where you're at for you to stay where you're at. God did not bring you this far just for you to stay where you're at. He did not bring you to Bethel just for you to be a consumer. God did not bring you where you're at just to have brought you this far. When you're in the pasture, you need to do just a couple things, two things. You need to prepare and spend time in the presence of God. Prepare your gifts. Sharpen your skills. I feel if, if God has begun to call you into worship ministry, I'm going to start practicing the guitar. If, God, if I feel like God is, is calling me to be CEO, I'm going to start doing right now what the janitor does. Because when I get to the CEO, I want to be able to serve just as I was when I was a janitor. Spend time in the presence of God. Sharpen your skills. If you can't get in the presence when you're in the pasture, God will not trust you to get in the presence when you're in the palace. It was... It was the late 1800s. There was a lawyer who attended Yale University named Russell Conwell. He was on camelback on the banks of the Tigris River, listening to his Arab guide tell him story after story. He began to tune out the Arab guide because all the stories sounded the same until his Arab guide told him a story that Russell Conwell copied and told the story over 7,000 times in his life. This means that for 20 years, every day, he told this exact story. There was a lowly farmer named Ali Hafad. And Ali Hafad had, had a family, and he had a little, very small farm, just a couple acres. Um, it, and he was not rich by any means. He was not a rich farmer. He was a poor farmer. But every day, Ali Hafad, from sun up to sundown, plowed his field plowed his pasture. That is until uh, a local priest, for years and years, a local priest came to visit Hafad and his family. And when the, when the priest walked in, he told Ali Hafad about these diamonds that were being discovered in the distance. And he told him that all he had to do was just stick his hands into the banks of this river, and he would pull out diamonds that could buy entire nations. Entire countries could be bought with just one handful of these diamonds. And so Hafad asked the priest, well, where are these diamonds? And the priest's response was this, if you find the river that runs through the white sands, and it, it runs through the tall mountains, in that river you will surely find diamonds. Upon hearing the news, Ali Afad sells his farm, leaves his family, and goes on this search to find diamonds in the distance. He goes to East Africa, no diamonds. Goes to Europe, no diamonds. Goes to Spain, still no diamonds. 
goes to Palestine, but no diamonds. And in despair, Ali Hafad decides to end his life. The man that purchased that small farm from Ali Hafad with the same, with just a similar family, took the same ox, the same plow, and every day began to plow his pasture. So one day he went down to the to the to the stream. And he, uh, that was on his property, and he was letting his ox get a drink. And he noticed that there were these black rocks um, that he had to move every. He had to just pick up and move out of the pasture because he he was you know he was trying to plow his pasture, but he had to move these big old black rocks. And he got down to the stream, and he noticed that these black rocks were everywhere. And he noticed that when he moved, and when the sunlight hit the rocks just at at a perfect angle, there was this beautiful rainbow sparkle. So he picked up that, that small black rock, he plowed back across the pasture, went back to his house, and put it right above the mantle. And then that same priest that told Afad about diamonds in the distance came to greet the new neighbors, came to welcome them to the area, maybe to invite them to church. And Afad, and, he, and he, the priest walked in, and he opened up his home, and the priest walked in, and he, and he saw that there was this beautiful black rock right above the mantle. And the priest asked the new farmer, he said, what, do, you, do you know what that is? Do you, do you know what you have in your possession? The farmer said, it's just a rock. I've, my pasture's full of them. I've got them all over the place. And the priest said, you know, that, 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 that stone, I don't know what type of diamond it was, but that's a black diamond. And it was estimated it was worth $25,000 in that day's time. It'd be worth millions now. And so the priest said, where did you get that? Please, can you show me where you, where you got that? So that new farmer took the priest across the pasture that he had begun to plow, and he took him down to the river that ran through the white sands where the tall mountains were, and there were black diamonds everywhere. That small pasture, it is now known as the Golconda Diamond Mine. It is estimated that the, that the world's most expensive diamonds have come from that mine. And as a matter of fact, the royalty in England, that's the very pasture that they purchase all of their diamonds. Upon hearing that, I can't help but think of a man named Ali Afad, who went to search for diamonds in the distance, but everything that he ever needed was right under his feet. My friends, if you would stay where you are, if you would plow into your pasture, there is nothing sexy about faithfulness sometimes. There is, there is nothing that is really, really cool about staying planted where you're at. But if you would stay where you are, and if you would plant and plow in your own pasture, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And so if you would stay and plant and plow, learn how to get into the presence, learn how to sharpen your skills and begin to prepare, I promise you, in a moment, God can do so much more for you than man ever could. Man can give a promotion, a pay raise, and even a platform, but only Jesus can give you a purpose. I don't know um, who needs to hear it, but everything that you have is right underneath your feet. It's not in, the pasture's not greener on the other side. The pastor isn't better at the church down the road. The worship isn't better at the church down the road. Everything that you need is right underneath your feet. And so today, my question is, is just so simple. Are you being faithful 
to your pasture? Are you, good, are you really doing your best at your pasture? Are you really giving 110%? Because a lot of times we cut corners. A lot of times we, 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 we slack off when we're not really in the place that we want to be, and so we, we slack off with where we are at. So today my, my answer is very simple. Are you faithful in your pasture? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I said what you told me to say. I did what you told me to do. Now, God, I just need you to do what only you can do. Father, all, all, all we can do, is, all we can do is, is pep talk. All we can do is promote. All we can do is speak from a platform. But only you can give a purpose. And so, God, I'm believing that there are some people here today that have maybe have spent not just months or years, but some people here have spent decades pursuing their potential rather than their purpose. They have spent decades watching the palace while they haven't been faithful in the pasture. And so, Father, today I'm asking that you would set a new fire, that you would, that you would set a new flame in our spirits so strong and so heavy that we cannot help but just run after you, run after that purpose. So, Father, for these next few moments, I'm asking that you would do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.